Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30. And, of course, it's Sunday morning and time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up, we have to welcome back uh, John Arnott, Manager of Horticulture down at Cranbourne Botanic Gardens. Hi, John. Morning, Pam. How are you going? Good, good, good. Happy New Year. Yes, yes. (laughs) Seems crazy. Here we are at the end of Feb, but yes. I I think the, the convention is... Um, it's, it, we're, we're right on the cusp of it not being um, right anymore, the, yeah. the Happy New Year thing. Okay. <laughs> but this is the first time that we've met each other for, exactly, the, for, for the year. Exactly, exactly. Um, so I feel I'm entitled absolutely, to say Absolutely, of course, of, of course. And, um, and it's a new look 3CR studio, which it is, is. It's looking pretty <laughs> schmick. I know. It's good. It looks really good. <laughs> yeah, it's so, a change, isn't it? So th- that all happened over the summer, did it? It did. Yeah, right. That's Do, right, During yes. summer recess. So it's all been painted. We're actually sitting on new chairs. That, that don't We've squeak. Exactly. That helps a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, all's good with all, the world. Yeah, all's good. All's good. I had a, a ride in this morning. Gee, Melbourne's a beautiful um, town. Look, I, I came in along the Yarra, and right. yeah, you know the Yarra was nice and glassy, and it was reflecting the the buildings off the city. And yeah, it's just a you know I I, I noticed um, just how beautiful yeah, the the just Melbourne is. You know, people out rowing, people out cycling, jogging, yep. jogging, walking their dogs. Um, there's a beautiful rhythm to a morning on a Sunday morning in Melbourne, I think. Oh, absolutely. And, and of course, this show is a part of that rhythm, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> For some of us, definitely, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's also, I mean, just lovely being early in the morning. Yeah, beautiful. Before the traffic gets going, before the whole chaos starts for the day. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. lovely. Yeah, so I had a, a lovely ride in. Excellent, this yeah, excellent. We also have to say good morning to Evan Golke. Hi, Evan. Good morning, Pam, John, everybody. Good yeah. So. Local landscapes, yeah, they're going strong. Busy, busy, yeah, yeah. Lots of things on the go. Um, lots of nice design work going on, which is good, residential and and uh, commercial. Uh, so no, it's 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 been a good time, and it's been an interesting summer for yeah, us. Yeah, it has been an interesting summer. Yeah, yeah. It was very dry in December. Oh, yep. it still is. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, we've had we've had reasonable rain out oh, our way to, to keep us ticking over. Yeah, okay. it's been okay. Yeah, um, perhaps not. Not in the centre of Melbourne, but um, it's, the it west. hasn't been too bad. Or the yeah. west is very or dry. The northeast. <laughs> or the north east. Oh, yeah. the north east. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, we're mm. really dry. Yeah. Are you? Yes. Where are you, Pam? Eltham. Oh, yeah, we're dry. Dry, yeah, dry. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think in December I was thinking, oh, bushfire season's going to be horrendous. You know, I just was not looking forward to February. It's interesting. but We were having fire weather in, in October. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. It started early, yeah. but then mm. it, it suddenly got mild. It was like yep. that, it's like that footy term. It's been a, a summer of two halves. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, it has. Because the front half, you know, October and November... Uh, December, hot as anything. Mm. I mean, my daughter got married on um, December nineteenth. Um, the idea was that we were going to we were going to go down into the Otways, into a forest, into a rainforest gully with a you know one road in and one road out. Mm. And it was forty three degrees and nearly oh. hundred hundred kilometre hour winds, low relative humidity. Mm. Suffice to say, we weren't in the forest that day. <laughs> <laughs> just <laughs> just, just because well. of the fire risk. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there were going fires that started that day from lightning strike. Actually. Yeah. Mm. Um, well, well, I was actually down in Lawn on Christmas Day and had to evacuate, John. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so I can understand why you didn't go into the forest. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. So, but you're right, Evan, it's been an interesting summer. Mm. You know, hot, really, really hot to start with. And, you know, we got to January and it was like the thermostat, apart from that, the hot days that we had last week, mm. that it's um, been pretty mild. Yeah, it's been really mild. Yeah. It's actually, I found it to be a great veggie growing season. Yeah, right. It's been really, really good. 
um, because it was warm so early. So things got going really early. And, uh, and, and now with the milder weather, you hardly have to water. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's been really, really good. It's, I've got a bit of um, an obsession in dead and dying plants. Um, <laughs> of course. <laughs> which, which is, you know, I think we all do as horticulturists because if, if something's failing, we're wanting to work there out. There has to be a reason. There has to be a reason, and yep. you're trying to work out what the reason is. And you yep. can actually really learn from, um, from failing. Um, uh, and yeah, it's been interesting to see the, the, the things that, that really disliked uh, plants did that is that, that really disliked that October, November, and December, um, and things that have bounced back. There's some the nice examples of some cool temperate rainforest plants that were absolutely burnt to a frazzle yeah. um, during October, and November, and December. Yeah. But they're putting on this flush of new growth now, so mm. you know it was kind of cosmetic damage. But at the time, we're thinking, ooh, this yeah. is we've still got three or four months to go. That's yeah. right for the heat. Yeah, yeah. yeah my, my cops of ginkgos got absolutely fried Smashed. in that mid-December yeah. heat because the leaves just weren't ready for it. No, no. Um, so they've sort of looked a little bit ordinary all year. Yeah. It, I mean, and, and as you say, they've been growing in the last three weeks. They pushed out some new growth. They've been growing yeah. again and uh, and look fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So somewhere off two halves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the leaves just weren't ready for it. With that, no. that very early heat, I, I don't think. No, no, and, that's uh, right. So they just got fried on the plant. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I, I lost produce in that first bout of heat, particularly um, uh, things like my pomegranate, because it struck while it was in full flower, all the flowers instantly dropped off with the heat. So, of course, that meant that my harvest is down to, I think I've got about four pomegranates hanging tenaciously. <laughs> <you know? laughs> I'm trying to guard them from the birds. <laughs> But, yeah, so, um, you know, mm. good and bad all round mm. uh, with it coming so early like that. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I don't mind it. In, in veggie gardening, it was actually really good. Yeah, yeah. I did appreciate, and I think a lot of gardeners appreciated the um, um, the, the much cooler uh, January and February. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. gosh, yeah. yes. Because yes. it was looking like it was going to be one hell of a long summer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. At, at Cranbourne, you know, one of our major... Risks and one of the concerns that we that we deal with ev- annually is fire risk, mm. um, and we were really twitchy early early days because um, it looked like you know it looked look, the all of the conditions. There's something called a fire um, danger rating, right? The FDR rating, and that's when it goes high, very high, extreme, severe. Yes, um, and for. On those odd, 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 awful occasions, code red, and you know we were having um, severe. Um, and very, very high fire weather in October. Right. All through yeah. November. Yes. Yeah. Um, the, the, my daughter's wedding day was extreme. Yes. <laughs> yeah. um, and that all, that all and went well, despite I, no fern gully? Look, it did. It did. We had um, plan A, uh, plans A through, I think, about F, J, K, L, N, O. Probably P. I reckon about P. So there was a bit of contingency planning going on. Okay. <laughs> the funny thing is we decided to, that we would go down to the, the beach, which was terrific. Yep. So Lawn Beach, got a permit, yep. um, managed to get a permit. I think we would have gone ahead if we didn't have a permit, but we managed to get a permit um, kind of late. And as we were sitting up down the beach, you know, I made an arch and de- de- decorated it with native plants and looked really beautiful. And then it started raining, <laughs> 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 like thumping 
heavy <laughs> and fork lightning and we're thinking oh, this is just John. this is ridiculous. And this is about forty five minutes before yes. you know, we were scheduled to, oh. to, to press the go button. Um, so we pushed it back a couple of hours and it, look it was fine, it was absolutely beautiful. Um <laughs> But makes for a very memorable. It day. was an extraordinarily memorable. <laughs> an day. extra two hours in the pub before the wedding. <laughs> well, what we did. How did that go? There's the, there's the little place called the well, little place. There's that um, resorty place down there called the Mantra. Yes. And you know we booked a couple of rooms so people could, could uh, you know zhuzh up and get prepared and do all those kind of things. But we also um, booked one of their um, uh, smaller rooms and put some money on the bar. Because the plan was we were going to meet in, in the old in the forest, but we had to contact everyone and say, look, come to Lawn first and then we'll tell you what's happening. Because <laughs> we're not really sure yet. So we put some money on the bar and, anyway, well, look, it was fantastic. It was a, it was a, in fact, in terms of a beach wedding, it was, it was idyllic. Right. It was, looked like we meant it. <laughs> <laughs> but it was all on the run. It was, um, but it was a beautiful day. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. That's the main yeah, thing. Yeah, it was great. Excellent. Yeah. We have to say a very good morning to Millie Ross. Good, good morning, morning, Millie. I'm sorry I was a bit late. I had to nick some grapes this morning. I mean, acquire, acquire some grapes <laughs> for everyone this morning. I thought it's that time of the year, so I, um, I did a quick, I had to wait for the sun to get high enough that I could actually see what I was doing. Whoa. Because <laughs> <laughs> I found these grapes. I think, Evan, you might have been here last year. Yeah, I these are down back lane, were they? Yes, they are down the back lane. <laughs> and, um, I discovered them last year and, and you know, the joys of, uh, of uh, social media is that I was flicking back through some photos that I'd taken a couple of weeks ago and I went, oh, it's 52 weeks since I found those grapes, I better go Bang. and have a look. on cue. And, um, and went and had a look and... Um, yeah, they're a wine grape, I think. And one of the one of the uh, wine guys I know, I dropped a bag down to to the local wine bar and, and left them there. And he reckons they're Cabernet grapes because they've got this kind of they're thick skin. Very sweet, huh? And they've got a very interesting flavour. Mm. Almost, uh, well, someone tried them the other day and said um, that he he thought it tasted almost like fake grape flavour. Like the, that, it, that's, yeah. that, you know, yeah. that's the flavour they go it's for. It's very with, intense. Yeah. It, it is like it's like grape lollies. Yeah, it's like lollies, <laughs> but it's actually grapes. And mm. the thing that's so extraordinary about this grape, John, is that I walked past it three or four times last year, walking this little dog that I had in yeah. laneways. I, uh, I walked past it three or four times, and I, I, I sort of clocked this cascading foliage coming down this back wall. I thought, gee, that's healthy for this time of the year. You know, there's not a spot of mildew on it, just really healthy foliage. And, yeah. and so about the fourth or fifth time, I thought, I might just have a closer look at that grape, you know, try and work out what it is, because yeah. it's so healthy. And I, I sort of just passed the foliage, <laughs> and then put it back, and sort of, there was hundreds of kilos of grapes under there, yeah. because the foliage is so dense. The birds it's, don't see them. Oh, cool. So it's, it, you know, we picked... It's uh, got its own... A couple of weeks ago, my housemate and I picked a, at least, you know, sort of a, a big basket, so probably 10, 15 kilos. I, I could have picked that again this morning, and, and they are ripening. I like them really ripe. Yeah. Some people like them a bit under under ripe, but mm. um, they've been great. I gave a bunch to the guy who makes coffee at work. He, you know, he drives a, a van around from different workplaces, and I gave him some the other day, and he said it was such a joyful day because he just put them up on his little on his little bench and every single grape was an extraordinary expression on someone's face. <laughs> he really enjoyed having that. But, uh, so yes, I, I just thought I'd, I'd go and acquire us some breakfast so you're taking, on the way in. Well played. Taking cuttings of that over the winter, are you? Look, I meant sure to last year, but I will definitely will this year. That would be year. good. Yes. Because <laughs> my grape is crap in comparison with that one. <laughs> sure. No, I definitely can. And, and, and as I said, just the vigour of the vine itself is, mm. is extraordinary. Well, it, it's so interesting you brought those in today because... Um, um, for the first time ever, I've got two different wine grapes at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the first time ever, I've had this massive crop as well. One's a Riesling and the other one's supposed to be um, 
a sweet um, Italian varietal of some sort. I can't remember the name of it. Um, but again, that, they've been so productive this mm. year. It's been mm. amazing. Mm. I've been hunting out all sorts of recipes for how to cook with grapes. <laughs> sure. And so, I mean, that's the thing is, what do you do with them? I eat them. We just eat them fresh. I did dehydrate yep. some last year, but they have got quite a large seed. Mm. So yes. you end up with quite a crunch. I don't mind that. I quite no. like yep. that sort of bang in the middle. But, um, yeah, certainly juiced a few last year and, um, you know, all, all sorts of things. But, uh, yeah, just there's, – there's actually – there's a lot of figs at the moment. If people um, – Want, you know, and always when you're picking fruit that is from someone else's tree, you've got to be incredibly respectful, obviously. Absolutely. Um, but we, we found a, a ripper fig, you know, having lived in a house with t- the most ginormous um, white Adriatic fig for the last five years, I'm desperate for figs. But we found, a, 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 again, an Adriatic um and it was so funny when you know hanging over the lane, and and obviously, and this is probably highly illegal, but anyway, we stand on the back of the ute, and I've rigged up a little way to stand on the roof of the ute, or you know, so you can actually sort of harvest quite safely and easily. And um, this this particular fig, the garden that it's in, they've pruned it completely back to the fence line, so it hangs out over the lane. So they're not they might harvest a bit of fruit, but it's kind of like, oh, we hate it. Let's just prune it back. So on then, their side of the block. Yeah, on their side of it. So oh, then it's hanging out and then within the lane, everyone's been pruning it up and it touches the top of their car. So it's, oh, like, right. it's actually impossible to pick. Unless, you, Unless you're, you're doing something roof. ridiculous like we are. And, uh, you know, and, and they are just the most extraordinary fruit. And you cannot buy them. I mean, they do not travel. No, they the don't. The needs to be, you know, yeah. just flaps in your hands, yep. um, fresh to, yeah. to be, at, you know, a delicious, uh, you know, sort of thing. So I've been doing a little bit of uh, free fruit harvesting. Excellent. So when you're parting weeks. the leaves on the grape, you know, and the, the guy is on the other side, the <laughs> Italian fella, <laughs> who's waiting, you know, to well, make his wine, and he sort of parts it as well. So and there's Millie. They must be cultivated so well inside this garden, you yeah. know. So it's it's literally just the overhang. Yeah, the lane, yeah. And they must never come out there. I, I, I'll show you. I did... T- if people want to have a look on, on the Thrifty Gardener Instagram, I did take a photograph of my, my housemate, I'll find it for you, um, harvesting the other day. It's just, the, like, just like a body surrounded by, by <laughs> foliage. But um, no, look, I mean, you know, I, I, as I said, I try and be as respectful as I can. Obviously, the plant, if you know how to pick things, I think, you know, trouble comes when you're ripping things yeah. off. Oh, yeah. You know, and I've, I've had that happen. I had someone take something off my, my tree and they managed to rip the graft off with the mandarin, yeah. you know, that yeah. they took. And it's, I think, oh, Oh, come yeah. on, you know, if you're going to, going yeah. to, and that was in my front yard, that shouldn't have happened. But, um, yeah. but no, certainly the odd fig rolled off uh, a tree that is absolutely hated by everyone who goes under and uh, mm. along it, I think, is, is a perfectly reasonable thing to do. And, um, yeah, as long as it's hanging over the fence yes. and your arm doesn't go in. Yes, you're right. <laughs> and, you ca- and you're careful with it. But, uh, yeah, mm. no, I think they don't, they either don't know that the grapes are out in the lane or they don't care because they've mm. got plenty. Yeah, um, right. The amount of fruit on it in the lane, if they're cultivating inside and they know what they're doing, which I'm sure they do, they'd be harvesting hundreds of kilos. Mm. Yeah. Gosh. Has, has anyone here seen the little wasp that fertilises figs? No. Because they're, no. they're, 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 they're this amazing mechanism. Mm. The, the flowers are actually inside of the fruiting body mm. and there's a wasp that... that burrows in or puts its proboscis in or something along those lines? There's a number of species of wasp, I think, and even do this. And Australian figs. Most, yeah. most of the Australian figs would have... Those so sorts some of, of pollinators. Them, the female comes in right. and 
um, lay some eggs or does something. Okay. And then I, I, I did read about it the other day because I was trying to work it out yeah, whether you have to eat the wasp or not. But most of our uh, edible figs, ficus carica, yep. don't require that pollination. So they're, they, they'll produce fruit, yeah, the fruit as, swells, sterile, yeah. as sterile fruit. Yeah, yeah, right. absolutely. But um, no, many, many of the figs um, have that very specific. That's why there's a little hole in the end of the of the fig yeah. so that the wasp can crawl in because the floral parts are on the on the inside of mm. the fruit yes. and fruit yeah. I think that's amazing it's oh, weird, it is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I think the osage orange has got a similar oh. um, similar thing yeah there, there you, you go, go. The, but I was I, I was just yeah in, curious <laughs> That's how we learn, John. It is, it is. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That May is how we learn. you never stop being No, no, that's right, exactly. And that's the game that we're in. I yes. think that um, some of the wasps actually end up laying their eggs and then the maggots um, will hatch and actually eat the fruit. And that's right. a fig I'm not as interested in No, the fig with the protein, yes. um, yeah, protein pack. Yeah, that's yeah, that's <laughs> okay, I'd better get to some community announcements. Uh, one that's taking place today still, um, it's the second day of the Melbourne Begonia Society show. Uh, this is being held at Moorabbin Senior Citizens Hall, Great. which is 964 Nepean Highway in Moorabbin. Free entry to that one. Now, it's uh, running from 10 o'clock this morning through till 3 o'clock this afternoon. And in conjunction with that one, the National Dahlia Society of Victoria have got their show on as well. That's at the Mount Waverley Community Centre in Miller Crescent there in Mount Waverley. Uh, there's a $3 entry for that particular one. And again, the show starts at 10am and uh, finishes at 3.30. Uh, Devonshire Teas will be available at both those shows. Begonias are back, aren't they? Oh, they are. are. Yeah. Great plan. Because they really went away. Yeah. For, for, like for a long, apart from you know the, the obvious, the the botanic gardens at Ballarat and yes, yes. you know a few begonia fanciers. Yep. Well, and the society. I, I'm on a number of occasions. I've chanced upon being in in studio when um, one of the guests, Marilyn, or, or someone's yes, coming in from the begonia society, yeah. and that the, the range of foliage yeah. that is in that group of plants, even edible. I know oh, that really? some the tubers. Uh, well, some of the some of the foliage of some of them is is edible, True. and I know that Attica. Um, in their kitchen garden, which is um, based at Ribbon Lee. Yeah. So, you know, one of Australia's finest restaurants. They yeah. grow um, just little begonia semperflorens, the little bedding begonia. Yeah. Yeah. And they actually use the flowers and the leaves in salads. Okay. As a, um, a garnish. As a garnish. Yes. Yeah. Well, no, I think as oh, part as a of your sell? dish. Really? I, think, okay. I don't think they garnish really at all. I think it's all part of the flavour. Well, there's a quite... I mean, semperflorens is pretty succulent, isn't it? It's yes. quite... It, it stores a lot of water in its foliage. That's that right. That kind of makes sense. Mm. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. This, I mean, they, they are, but they're such a terrific plant. I've got a few that I've picked up from, you know, I've got one called Sam that I call Sam because I got it off this guy in Sydney called Sam. <laughs> you <laughs> know, like I walked past this begonia, you know, a dozen times to the bus and then I thought, and then one day finally he was out the, out the front and, and so struck up a conversation and it, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful burgundy cane begonia. It's, yeah. you know, it, it, they're just such easy plants to grow mm. in many cases yeah. if you're mm. in a frost, frost-free spot. And yeah. Particularly the canes, I mm. think, for gardeners, yep. in a really, they're really useful plants. Mm. You know, you yeah. get a, a wonderful sort of vertical mm. um, look. You look see them in old the gardens, don't yeah. you? Yeah, you do. Very yeah. dry yeah. spots, like under staircases and, yeah. and that sort of thing. Yeah. Up under eaves where it's as dry as dry. Dry and shady. Just, yeah, dry and shady. Yeah, yeah. And they just, just struggle along and, and they that's a, quite good. And that's a really tricky niche, isn't it? Dry mm. shade for, mm. for, for something that has got that sort of capacity. It's yeah. narrow. And narrow. Well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's all narrow. Yeah. 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 Some, some of the species are just 
beautiful. I mean, I'm a, I, I just my default is to look at the the, the wild origins of, of, of species of plants, and some of the species begonias are just beautiful things, mm. and some of the species dahlias. Now speaking of dahlias, mm. um, the Auckland Botanic Gardens in New Zealand have got a collection of species dahlias, and okay. they are gorgeous things. Right, quite, really quite small. Um, delicate flowers, you know, maybe the, the big ones would be the size of a calendula yep. flower. Yep. They're just gorgeous wow. things. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Excellent. So Excellent. Where are they mostly from, all the dahlias? Uh, do you know, I don't know. I'm thinking the Americas, mm-hmm. as in South. Um, and I know begonia is a, a Southeast Asian thing, mm. Um, mm. but I think I think it might be the Americas. Yep. I remember seeing, um, you know, one of one of the world's most interesting and um, chaotic gardeners to watch give a talk. But seeing Patrick Blunk, <laughs> who does the Green Walls, <laughs> yes. speak at um, the Landscape Conference, it'd be, you know, maybe three or four conferences ago, so yep. eight, eight years ago, and um, he he started his his talk, and he's French. And he has this very, um, he has this very fast pace about the way he's delivering. And I remember the whole room, in the first couple of minutes of his talk, as he was pacing up and down <laughs> the stage and just clicking through um, slides at this sort of, it was almost like a beat, you know, it was almost like watching music, watching him speak. And I, I, the whole room was sort of thinking, oh God, I have no idea what he's saying. But then everyone fell into his rhythm, they fell into his beat, and were on the edge of their seat for really? 45 minutes while he showed images of plants and how he really got to the point where he understood he could grow them on buildings and many of the plants he uses are begonias and he showed heaps of images of you know this is on a cliff in Taiwan this is on you know and looking at where he'd actually seen them growing on cliff faces um, on underhangs in in caves you know these sorts of places so he's looking um, at nature's ecological niche and how yeah, that translated to putting plants on buildings, and it was cool. it was just one of the one of the best one of the best and most exciting and inspiring presentations I'd seen. Begonias really stood out for me, and I thought, you know, they they are a group of plants that we we can be using in so many ways. Yeah, mm. great. There you go. Okay, back to the community announcements after that little interlude. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All's well. <laughs> Um, coming up, we've got a few things happening uh, next weekend, which of course is. Uh, into March, March 5th and 6th next weekend. But uh, firstly coming up there is the Clinton Horticultural Society have got their autumn flower show. This is being held at Watts Pavilion at the showgrounds, which is in Mollison Street in Kyneton. Uh Now it opens at 1 o'clock on the Saturday and uh, on the Sunday 10 through to 4.30. Admission is by $4 and there'll be a plant stall and afternoon tea there as well. Now, also next Saturday, the 15th, 5th of March, um, out at Pepper Tree Place, which is on the corner of Bell Street and Sydney Road there in Coburg, um, they've got a summer pruning stone fruit trees workshop. This is being run by Diana Cotter, and that's taking place 11 a.m. through to 12 noon. As well as that, they've got an all-day swap table, um, a chance to share your garden's harvest, um, they've got uh, a clothes swap. They've got the pop-up uh, Pepper Tree Cafe there. Uh, there'll also be their volunteer-run nursery taking place. There'll be Reiki and massage out there. And there'll be live music from 12 noon from uh, a southern Italian music group. So uh, that's all happening. Um, now, if you did want to uh, take part in that workshop on uh, summer pruning of stone fruit, uh, the numbers will be limited to 12 participants, so you do need to register for that one. 
you can uh, email, um, let me see, you can text on 0421 I'll read that again, 0421-402-512 or um, you can email H-S-A-N-G-H-V-I, that's H-Sang-V-I, short for Heidi Sang-V who organises these things, at kildonan.org.au and there's a $15 charge for that one or a $10 concession. Now, uh, also, uh, and this is coming up out at Cranbourne Botanic Gardens, John, which I'm Mm -hmm. sure you know all about, starting next Saturday is the Australian Textile Exhibition. Fantastic. Lisa Chandler. Lisa Chandler, yes, with all her wonderfully designed um, Australian native uh, plants, material, fabrics. Um, But uh, it's got quilting out there. It's got all sorts of wonderful designs there with uh, fabrics, crafts and quilting. Now, uh, it actually, there'll be over 200 exhibits um, all up and uh, the exhibits will fill the gallery area at the reception desk and also in the auditorium downstairs. So they've really got a lot there on show. Now, it's opening at 10 o'clock, running through to 4 o'clock each day and it's running right through until March the 14th. And there will also... um, be uh, <clears throat> yet again, Lisa has very kindly donated a large quilt, and mm. that's going to be raffled to help raise uh, more money to go back into the gardens. Yep. That's so, f- all good. <laughs> Fantastic. Yep. So, that's starting next Saturday and running through till the 14th of March. And, of course, it's a chance to go and have a look at the Australian Garden while uh, you're down there. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely. And all of that is free of charge. Uh, now, our good friends at Open Gardens Victoria. Their next open garden is coming up next weekend. Uh, Again, uh, Saturday the 5th, Sunday the 6th of March. Now, this garden is down at um, uh, Geelong, uh, and it's uh, a garden called um, Arundel. It's actually at East Geelong. It's at 478 Ryrie Street there in East Geelong. Now, it's a romantic garden. It's uh, a bit of a hidden treasure, just two kilometres from Geelong City Centre. Um, they've got a golden elm and other mature trees, giving dappled light. They've got a series of beautifully designed rooms filled with perennials, hardy Mediterranean species, grasses and vegetable beds in unexpected combinations. There's fruit trees, beekeeping, worm farming and composting, all features of the working garden. Now, funds raised will go to the Friends of Geelong Botanic Gardens and also to Headspace there. There'll be tea, coffee and cake and plant sales also down at the garden. So, as I say, that's a rundle at 478 Ryrie Street in East Geelong. Entry is $8. Children under 18 are free. And once again, our very good friends at Open Gardens Victoria have given us one free double pass to give away this morning. The first person who rings in uh, to 94190155, Jan will uh, take your call and take your details down and that free double pass will be posted out to you. Arundel Garden, I know Arundel Garden. It's Do you? Helena Buxton who's okay. um, heavily involved in the Friends of the Geelong Botanic Gardens. Okay. That's, that's her garden. Oh, right. And you would have no idea from the street um, what's, what's sitting behind that house because it's, um, 
um, the, the house is very close to the street and there's a small, very nice front garden. Um, but when you get it into the back of the back garden, it is just remarkable. It, it's a ripper. It's, wow. Yeah, it's a fantastic garden. Okay. Helena is, she works very hard in her garden and takes it, she's very proud of it, as she should be. Yes. It's a ripper of a garden. Fantastic. Yeah, well worth a, well worth a look. Yep. yep. Wonderful. Okay. While I'm talking, uh, friends of Geelong Bot- Botanic Gardens, they've got a, uh, Mornington Peninsula Gardens coach tour coming up. Now, this is coming up on Friday the 18th of March, but obviously they want bookings prior to that. Um, now, it's, um, it's a visit to uh, four particular gardens down on the Mornington Peninsula. First up, they go to uh, Cruden Farm, of course, the late Dame Elizabeth Murdoch's uh, garden. Then they go to the Vineyard Garden at Mooraduck. Uh, on to a picnic lunch, which will be provided at Villa Leticia which is a Paul Bangay designed garden and not very often open to the public. And then finally to Rick Eckersley's um, 10-acre sustainable musk cottage garden near Flinders. Now, the tour includes return transport from Melbourne CBD down to the Mornington Peninsula and also includes morning tea as well as lunch. Uh, The cost is $195.00. And uh, the easiest way for you to book for that one is to actually go to their website, which is www.opengardensvictoria.org.au and uh, follow the prompts there. You'll be able to uh, download an entry form and complete that and send it off. Um, But uh, that would be a wonderful day. And obviously uh, a couple of those gardens aren't often open to the public, so well worth the trip. All right, the next uh, lot of announcements I have don't take place till a little bit further on, so we might leave those, and if we have time, get back to them. Now, um, I just, it just uh, prompted me before as we spoke about the Otways and that part of the world, um, and uh, I just wanted to uh, throw out for 3CR listeners, because I know these will book up extremely quickly if they have not already, mm. um, but Alison Pulio, who is <coughs> a fungi, yes, a fungi lady, she's coming back to town, oh, so wow. I know oh. I'm already booked on Otway <laughs> tour, and there's another one that I might go, but um, if people are at all interested in going out, and it's, it's not about edible fungi, it's not about hallucinogenic fungi, although <laughs> These things are discussed in the forest. Of course they are. Um, it's about fungal ecology. <coughs> and um, mm. Alison, if, if you're interested at all, she's doing workshops all around Victoria and New South Wales. So um, country towns, I know she's up at Creswick, she's in Trentham, she's in, you know, um, all around the place. She's doing a day at um, a few sort of important gardens. But if anyone at all is interested, um, I would jump online now and, and see what vacancies are available because it, they do book out very quickly. It's almost a do-yourself-a-favour do job. Oh, look, <laughs> I'd Last year, I, you know, and, and people who um, who watch Gardening Australia would have seen that we filmed with Alison with mm. Jane um, in the Macedon Ranges. Um, we just had a single day, but before we filmed that story, I went on a walk with her, and then I did her full day workshop um, in Woodend and um, or in Trentham, sorry, and and it was just, I mean, I'm I'm a nerd, okay, and I like to <laughs> I like to learn. There's no doubt about it. Um, but it was a, it was a really great experience, and it was really interesting seeing the sort of dozen people that had come, and the different reasons they'd come to spend a day. You know, mm. there were some that were really trying to 
really add one edible fungi to their repertoire, this group of young people, every every year. Okay. And, and, um, and, you know, there was another woman that was cultivating different mushroom types, and so she was interested in looking at, you know, commercially even, what, what she might right. do. Sure. But it was just about the, um, the <coughs> most fun. And, again, jump on my Instagram. You can see from last year, you'll see a photograph of one of Alison's displays of different fungi that she brings, and you've never actually... It will blow your mind. She'd have a 100 different fungi out you yep. know, that she collects over a... Over over the time she's here. She says, hopefully one day the cops are going to pull her over. <laughs> and uh, she's got this boot full of weird fungi and everything from the cordyceps, which yeah, are, yeah. you know, caterpillar yeah. with fungi growing out of its head to, to you know, little blue meanings with well-known yeah. certain crowds. Well, um, well she, she's the rock star of, of the, the fungi world, oh, isn't she? Yes, she, she is. She's a, f- a force of nature. Yep. And just so passionate. I believe she's also giving a lecture at the Royal Botanic Gardens in Melbourne. I don't have the date on me, but anyway, her name is Alison Pulley which is P-O-U-L-I-O-T um, and if people want to get online I'm sure they'll see where she's going to be and she spends half of her life in Europe and half of her life back in Oz she just sort of, you know, like surfers chase the wave she chases the fungi <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, look, uh, 3CR listeners it's the best tip I can give you this year actually Fantastic Get yep. in before everyone else does Yeah, yep. yeah. yeah phenomenal Brilliant and, and that hundred or so fungi that she has on the table it, it, it is literally the tip of this huge mm. fungal iceberg. Mm. Mm. The um, the amount of fungal diversity and the complexity of the ecology of of those mm. fungal systems is just, I mean, it's it's overwhelming. Yes, and we're a hundred years, she reckons, behind botany at least. Yeah. you know, with our understanding of it, and mm. you know, when you talk about the Australian ecology, yeah. that. You know, all your wallabies, you know, potteroos, all of those um, little little animals are actually almost surviving entirely on fungi through that, you know, autumn winter period. Yeah. Mm. They're digging up mm. um, little underground truffles. She said just every eucalypt you can imagine will have a truffled, you know, sort of fungi system yeah. under, underground. So, um, yeah, look, just, just rip a fun too. Just, you know, if people love learning oh, yes. about anything. Um, it's it's a great thing to do. I've got, my, I've got my little um, geologist's hand lens ready to go this year, so a little little tiny little hand lens with um, with a light as well, so you can actually get right up close and personal, and it's um, yeah, fantastic. Fantastic, time. brilliant. The uh, the Melbourne date I've just brought it up. It's the first of June, so it's a, a little way out, um, uh, and it is at Mueller Hall National Herbarium in Victoria. Okay. Um, and I'm sure Alison will be okay with mm. its inquiries. Alison, a Double L I S O N at com. I think it's um, free. It is free. So it's a free it lecture. A free, but yeah. also with the workshops, you'll see that each one is sort of managed by a land care group or someone. So there's a contact for each of the workshops. She's really on the road. She's doing a road trip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fantastic. No, it's good. amazing. I just how want to pack my car and follow her. How important it is to the ecology of, of the bush and so on. It's one oh, of those yeah. things that is not really that well understood, is it? No. And, not at all. And, and very hard, I suppose, to. Um, to work on, yeah. Yeah, so mm. most of it's underground. Most of it's underground I mean, and unseen. Some mm. of the things they're sort of uncovering is is the ability of fungi to literally they're communicating with the root system. Going, mm. oh, you're you're not feeling very well. We'll, yep. we'll quickly manufacture some of this some, and yep. pop that on you. Yep. Mm. And I mean, it's it's that complex. She does she does the most. Uh, and I said to her when we did it, I said, I'm nicking this. This I'm stealing <laughs> this this um <laughs> this exercise. But to to try and demonstrate to a room full of people, um, what a mycorrhizal fungal association, so a fungi that sticks onto the root of a plant, can do for a root system with, with regard to extending it. She's got all of these stockings tied together. Yeah, right. So it's like this little ball of stockings, you know, when she pulls it out of her bag. It's, you know, 
all of these ladies' stockings tied together in, in very random ways. And so she just starts passing this ball of stockings. She hangs on to one end and starts passing it out. And I, I spotted what she was doing straight away. So, like, I'm going around my legs and, you know, and everyone just keeps passing these stockings out. And by the end of this exercise, the whole room is completely woven and tied together. Weird. And, and <laughs> you know, like, but it's taken, the, you know, what, what, what had a surface area of a basketball yep. and then shows you that its surface area is now the size of a football field. Yeah. And and it was just the most beautiful, Brilliant. simple, visual, you know, you can just grab that and yeah. and really understand, you know, what that what that what that is and I was thinking, you know, do that with kids. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, what yeah. a great, great yeah. way to show kids what what a root mm. system, you know, really is. So, and so you, know, you have this fruiting body, but that's tiny. The big bit is the, the, the small bit. The risotto <laughs> <laughs> is the least important yeah. part of the plant. Well, not plant, sorry. But I wonder, plant. you know, how important it is in gardens too, uh, uh, you know, just to, just to keep plants going. You know, why did that plant not perform? Yep. Is mm. it water? Is it food? Is it, is it the fungi it needs isn't there? Yes. It could well be. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And, absolutely. And it's something that's uh, not really well studied or, you know, there's not a lot of information about it. It's, it's um, happening. Yeah, it, yeah. Is, it, it is happening. The mm. Pacredaceae um, group is, mm. you know, that's all sorts of fungal associations mm. and, mm. you know, they're really difficult to propagate in the absence of having um, mycorrhizal fungi mm. present. Um, and then, you know, even in the garden, you know, you're in a sterile soil, mm. um, you know, a lot of the Pacridaceae beyond the real common garden plant, Pacridaceae, you know, they're, they're almost destined to fail yes. because they just don't have that mycorrhizal association. Mm. We've got a great program which is operating out of the Cranbourne Gardens at the moment, which is the Orchid Conservation Project, mm. which mm. is Nushka Rita. Mm. Have you had Nushka come to mm. talk, talk to you here? No, I haven't. But really? uh, she's hard to track down. Yeah. We've heard <laughs> of it. Yes, she's doing a great job. <coughs> it's phenomenal. Yes. So, so um, heavily involved in the, the translocation of a, a, a big number of threatened orchid species in southeast Australia. So she's doing the kind of the lab work, the propagation, um, you know, getting plants, propagating plants, producing plants, and then taking them back out into the wild and replanting them in areas that they might have been or areas that they, that they were known to be. Mm. The success of that project is completely about growing mycorrhizal fungi mm. right. um, because orchids are absolutely 100% reliant on mm. mycorrhizal fungi to thrive. Mm. Um, so it, so the the... the the propagation of the orchids, the, the the cultivation of the orchids, is all contingent on successful inoculation of mycorrhizal fungi into mm. into the um, the systems. So, yeah. how many different fungi are there in a bit of ground? Oh. You know, there must be just so just many just waiting for that particular plant to rock <laughs> up to help out. The CSIRO, you know, amazing, they're now doing DNA mapping mm. of what is in. So now they can actually look at soil and through the DNA say, well, you know, <coughs> there's there's six nematodes, there's yep. 43 fungi. They still can't necessarily say exactly what's there. Yeah, but they are starting to map the microflora, I believe, yep. um, out through the Australian National Botanic Gardens yep. and CSIRO in Canberra. Yep. Um, they are actually working on, on trying to work out how much is out there. Not you can't. I mean, you can never understand it. I, I, we we uh, did a great story with a, a young scientist in in Tassie a couple of years ago, who was working on um, fungal associations with some you know some agricultural crops. So mm. in particular, okay. they were looking at cherries, right. um, and they were looking at you know the problem of 
um, in particular years when you get quite a dry season and then a lot of rain and your crop will split because it just um, it'll take up too much water um, and and then you you know the the farmers have failure so they were looking at how fungi might you know good um, well developed soil profiles with lots of mycorrhizal fungi, fungal associations that it might help to mediate that kind of bust and boom sort of water uptake of the plant that maybe you, um, that it might sort of level things out. So they were doing some research in that way. Okay. And she said um, one of the, the simple ways that they would get a great population of, of fungi in the soil was just to grow spring onions. Oh, really? She said a lot of grasses, a lot of onions, you know, really, lot, just your common grasses and certainly native grasses yeah, right. all have um, very complex associations, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, were, they would grow pots of spring onions um, to maturity and then just let them die, mm-hmm. stop watering them, let them die, and then use that soil um, within their, their trials. And they found that they got a really, they'd, really they'd, great mm-hmm. population of, of fungi. They'd so be transferring the... F- Fungi through the, yeah, the saw plugs. Absolutely, mm. and and one of the one of the points. I mean, you know, we're always when we're looking as we do on this show. You know, what what can people take away from that? You know, yes. none of we're not necessarily going to farm cherries, um, but certainly one of the things that I took away from that conversation with her, and and again, you know, talking to Alison, and is that the the concept of fallow for me is is pretty much out the door. Um, that you would leave uh, ground completely bare at any time. Okay, um, because. Without the plants, the fungi don't exist either. So right. the fungi aren't necessarily, they may be dormant in the soil, yeah. but, you know, that perhaps, and, I, and I've watched this myself, you know, in my, in my veggie gardens, you know, have one bed that I don't end up planting up and it, it gets full of weeds, or one that, that just stays bare. And it's always the life in the soil and the one full of weeds. is, is just, you can see it, you can feel it, you can see that structure in the soil is held together far better. So, mm. And the other thing, I guess, is looking at tilling. I mean, it's so hard not to dig a garden bed sometimes. <laughs> But digging a garden bed, turning over your, your soil, you know, exposing the fungi there and many of the organisms. Well, you've a, got I'm, something to say I'm, about no, this. No, I'm about to go la, 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 la. I know, I know. <laughs> I, I, I can't not dig soil over too. But, you know, it is, it is this concept that is just sort of being demonstrated time and time again that once you're getting these populations that, you know, smashing them to pieces isn't always the, oh, the most effective way true. to do it. Okay. But, I, yeah, it's challenging. That is challenging. Some of us just need to dig because we need to dig. I, digging is... I love digging. For reasons other than the outcome right, of the right. garden. That's not the soil ecology yeah. necessarily. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's quite therapeutic. I mean, it obviously <laughs> depends on your soil. You know? like yeah. If you're out in Pakenham, for example, or Berwick, where it's very heavy ground, yeah. um, you have to open it up with, with yeah. gravel or yeah. you know, coarse sand or something. But once it's done... Yeah. Mm. Then, then, yeah. The idea is to keep putting stuff on top, but uh, yeah, well, there's lots of things below. I know I shouldn't do, but mm. I still do them. So, but, but it <laughs> is no just on the digging thing. If we could just unpack that a little bit more, I'm just having a bit of a moment. <laughs> <laughs> you, can use your, you can use your garden for <laughs> right. you can loosen. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you should, you should, you should always decompact. Look, absolutely, and, yeah. and I think there's no hard and fast rules, but. Um, no-till farming, you know, has been something that's been practised for eons. Mm, and, yep. um, and I guess, you know, it's it absolutely dependent on your soil. Yeah. Um, and, you know, sometimes for me, if I want to sow carrot seeds, I've got to dig my soil over and give it a really good yeah. rake and just knock the bejesus out of it because I want to make sure that, the you know, the roots are going to be able to penetrate yep. easily and yep. also that the, the soil is, you know, really raked to a fine tilth. And kind of uniform and all yeah, those things, yeah. But, but you know, in, in, in you know, I, I guess if I was a, a more organised, 
Palace Gardener, I might be doing some experiments, but I'm not. Mm. So, <laughs> well, I think so, the thing in a vegetable garden is if you can just um, regularly cut plants off rather than actually pull them out, of course, you leave all the little air gaps of all the roots course. So as yeah. they die off and they mm. rot. So you end up with all these little tunnels through. So I suppose it depends on your soil, yeah. mm. but it all depends on you know how, how good you are at just not ripping things out you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and leaving them. And it... It just takes a long time, though, too, mm. doesn't it? You know, it doesn't happen overnight. No, mm. but that that rotting root system. I mean, it's like you say, there's there's aeration, but it sounds like that might be absolute harbour for a bunch of yeah, to, 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 to be well. colonised yeah. by, yeah. Yeah. by yeah. fungal. Yeah. Absolutely. Who organisms. knows? Well, it's oh, a, we all go. garden for many different reasons, and yep. you know, I was speaking to. A, um, you know, a gardener recently who's very meticulous about the spacing of their veggies and all that sort of stuff. And I was like, gosh, I can get so greedy sometimes. And, you know, he, he really wants that out, outcome. You know, he really wants mm. the harvest to be of the Prime. yield that is, yeah. Whereas I maybe am gardening for aesthetic reasons a little bit as well. And so it's all about what you want out of your garden. And some of us want a good workout. Mm. You mm. know, some days yeah. you just want to go and yeah. dig yeah. for a while, out. you know. And <laughs> if you haven't got a pile of mulch to move, yeah. well, you want to dig something. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, when we, a couple of years ago, um, we were packing up my mum's house and I found an old, old hoe, um, an old, you know, yep. Dutch mm. hoe. And I kind of took the Dutch home and, and, and sharpened it up and put a new beveled edge on it. And I kind of hoed one weed and thought, that was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so Nine I've, hours later. So I've, I've started hoeing everything that I could possibly put another beveled edge on it. I've gone up and down the street. Hoeing <laughs> 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 weeds in the crack. It was fantastic. Best day ever. <laughs> Best day ever. John. <laughs> oh, I think he's in Packenham. <laughs> so we do we do garden for different reasons, but sometimes you can just get in the zone, can't you? Yeah, yeah. you can. And it, and it needs, but it needs to be a physical thing. With the vegetable gardens, the garden I've recently planted is a new area with with vegetables. I've just mixed it all up, so I've just got. You know, one plant here, one plant there, you know, and okay. plant it. And I think it's been pretty successful okay. in the way of uh, less pests. Yes, yeah. yes. You know, I don't spray or anything for pests. and uh, You're bamboozling them yeah. by having that mix. Yeah, or they just don't concentrate in yep. one spot. Yep. Um, mm. So it seems to be pretty successful. Yeah, to it's a good way. idea. Just yeah. let yeah. things go a little bit mad. Yep. Uh, it's just not as easy to pick. That's... And downside. you forget stuff. Yeah, and you, you miss you it. Things get hidden yeah. under other things. That's right. You, yeah. 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 But look, it is fun. That's actually um, some of the plants that I brought in today because I'm, I'm sort of gardenless. As Before we, we go to, to that, yeah. Millie, we really must... We're <laughs> <laughs> really more announcements. Out. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, are, you are listening to the 3CI Gardening Show. Um, in the studio this morning, mm. if you haven't guessed already, we've got uh, John Arnott, uh, we've got Millie Ross and we've got Evan Golke. Um, it is more than time that we opened up our lines for our listeners. If you have a gardening question to ask, if you can get a word in edgewise this morning, <laughs> do give us a call. We'd love to hear from yeah, you. Um, that number is 94190155. That's 94190155. Um, now, there was a query from uh, someone on the outside line uh, in regard to the Mornington Peninsula trip. Um, but uh, giving you the Friends of Geelong Botanic Gardens uh, isn't going to help you because uh, that Mornington Peninsula Gardens coach tour is being run by Open Gardens Victoria. And uh, you do need to go on the website to uh, 
to get all the information about that. So if you don't have uh, a computer at home, um, you can go to your local library and uh, and get uh, one of the librarians there to help you. But that uh, website is www.opengardensvictoria.org.au. Millie, back well, to you. Well, what I was going to say was we were just um, sort of... Uh, talking about less pests, and so I'm in. I'm in. I'm almost gardenless. I'm living at my friend's. Um, we've got a tiny little north-facing, concrete-paved backyard with a few big timber boxes, which have got some some bits and pieces growing in them, veggies and whatnot. But what what's been astounding to me in this little garden, which quite frankly contain almost no flowers, um, you know, there's a bay tree, uh, a seeded uh, desert ash, which right. has been cut okay. back to its stump a few times, um, and the Virginia creeper comes from, over from the the, the neighbours. So I built a little pergola out of bins and ladders, and now we have. Well, now I have a little bit of shade in the backyard. You could do but a work safe ad, I reckon, with your life. <laughs> <laughs> You've seen my thumb, right? <laughs> um, yes, it's a. Well, no, actually, you could swing off this pergola. I think you'd quite like it. Um, and some timber out of a film set. Anyway, the Secret River film set that came home with me. But um, look, I've been astounded by. The amount of nature that I see in this tiny little backyard. So, um, you know, before Christmas, I thought, right, I'm going to clean out the, the garden beds. It's sort of been hanging back a little bit. And my housemate was away and she was about to come home and work night shift basically over Christmas New Year period. And I thought, right, that's what I'm going to do for Christmas. I'm going to clean this up and I'll plant it out. And I'm weeding around the, one of the old stumps of the, of the, the desert ash, yeah. as a, which is, you know, was cut down probably 10 years ago. Mm. Um, and I could hear this very, very low hum. And I kind of kept hearing this noise. It sounded like a, a big, fat fly. Yeah. And then I looked down and I actually saw what it was. It was it was a big, fat resin bee oh, moving oh. in and out of moving in and out of this stump, you know. Ah. And then you know, a, a couple of weeks later, I was walking past this. We grow a lot of um, the wild rocket, Diplotaxis, great little plant, nice. stringy little foliage, bit of a weed, but you know, in a garden like that, it's not going anywhere. Um, and it was flowering. And the next thing I spot, another native bee in this oh, little backyard. Fantastic. And I okay. just thought, you know, it's. It's actually really surprised me because when I moved in, I thought, oh, you know, there's not much happening here. And, you know, we've got quite lovely veggies, tomatoes, and, you know, in what space we have is quite abundant. But I was just astounded that in this small backyard, um, just simple plants or simple habitat, yep. mm. that, that we're seeing things that I'd never seen in my big garden. You know, maybe I wasn't paying the same sort of attention in a big garden that you can mm. in a, in a small space. Maybe, yes. maybe. Yeah. But um, so, you know, the things that are, I think are like, you know, just really common plants like... I've just got the flowers which are now starting off garlic chives. Chives and garlic chives that have to be some of the best plants for bringing in predator insects. Um, lots of native bees will, will feed on any of the allium um, group. Um, and, uh, you know, just a really simple plant to have in your garden. But, mm. you know, I, I just I have been astounded, absolutely Fantastic. astounded by the, what mm. can happen in a small backyard in the middle of the city. This is in Yarraville. You know, mm. there is no large parkland around. We're, we're, we're two streets over from the main shopping strip. It's, it's concrete haven. The other great thing that I found around the corner is dichondra growing <laughs> really? in between <laughs> really? the, pa- the hard concrete <coughs> paving and the asphalt Obviously in no strips. Obviously no one gets out with a hoe. And <laughs> <laughs> Watch out. Watch yeah, what yeah. street is that? <laughs> but, you know, this, this great little native ground cover that occurs everywhere and Brilliant. it's probably the most useful plant I've ever known. 
bloom. Brilliant. Um, mm. And there it is growing in a crack in the concrete. It's a tough thing, isn't it? Oh, the, um, it dies off in the heat and then back it comes back again. Back it's one of those resurrection plants. Yes. Yes. Um, Melbourne BioBlitz is, is a, a mechanism for measuring urban biodiversity. Uh, and that's happening again soon. Oh. Uh, so it's Melbourne BioBlitz 2016. It's the 4th and 5th of March. Um, and you can join botanists, ecologists. Is that happening <coughs> around the country or just Melbourne? Uh, I think it is happening around the country. I've got the Melbourne side up here, mm-hmm. but it's looking at Royal Park, Westgate Park, Carlton Gardens, Royal Botanic Gardens, more. Um, it's, if you're interested in finding out about urban biodiversity, it's mm. the opportunity to <coughs> go into these areas with ecologists and botanists and really interesting people at that kind of citizen science um, you know, monitoring urban biodiversity. Yeah, and there'll be events all over the place. All, all, all over the place, into. but it is it is uh, coming up next weekend. Wonderful. Yes. Yeah. So okay. um, it's just called Melbourne BioBlitz 2016. Yep. Um, it's sitting on the City of Melbourne's website if people are wanting to find okay. out, find out more. Excellent. Um, but yeah, it you know. Um, you know, you don't tend to think of cities as being biodiverse places, but, you know, Yarraville, One Garden, mm. you know, it's case in point. Yes. yes. There's, there's wildlife everywhere. Exactly. Okay, let's go to our first caller. Goodness, we've got a full board. We have uh, Jill out in Hampton. Good morning, Jill. Oh, good morning, all. Um, I thought maybe Millie would be able to tell me what samphire looks like. Samphire is in the little um, salt marsh um, yes. species. Yes, yes. Uh, well, I think that's what it is. Ah, yeah. So it grows pretty commonly. I think there's probably a couple of species that grow around the base. John's just having a little look, I think, I've to make sure we're right. I've got one with a red yep. pink flower. Ah, it, 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 I think it flowers on the stem. So I, I, then forgive me, I don't know botanically um, immediately what it is. I'd have to do some looking. But it's a, yeah, so it, it, it would actually flower up the stem, not like a, not like a portulaca flower or a, or a carpobrotus. It would actually flower yeah. on, the, on the stem. I don't know about the ready pink flower. That suggests to me some of the other coastal plants, mm. to be quite honest. Oh. Um, samphire is like... Um, Segmented. Long strings, mm. segmented, like mm. little joints, mm. like um, think of a spider's leg. Oh, um, you know, but, leaf. yeah, yeah. Oh, well, perhaps that's not what I've got. No, it doesn't sound to me no. like it's what you've got. So, if you've got something that's got a, a pink flower, and you might have, I mean, there's there's lots of small succulent growing. That's plants. more like a portulaca or something. Yeah, yes. or um, is the sunrose? Yes, yeah, sunrose. I'm thinking of too. Ap- yes. Aptenia. So, um, Aptenia. best best to take a, a piece of it. Um, and maybe the flower down to a nursery and see if they can have a quick look, Jill, before you put it in your mouth. It's got quite a, a fleshy leaf, like a little or a traditional way you draw a leaf. Yeah, but this doesn't have a leaf. No, it's it's it, not sandfire. No. So it sounds it's like it could be aptenia. Yeah. 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 Mm. It, it, is, it, is it quite coarse, the texture of the, the leaf? Uh, very like spongy. Spongy sort of. and a little bit yep. rough to touch? No. 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 Aptini would be, I think, a little yeah. bit rough. Samphire, it's got like little segments along the stem. Yeah. No. And, you know, but quite there's no upright. leaf. There's no oh, leaf. Okay, no. well, also, when you were speaking about bees, what does a native bee look like? Well, there's a bunch of them. Um, I thought one that came here, I thought, we had blue stripes. Yep. Uh, that would be the blue banded bee. Yeah, Amagilla. Um, yeah. And that's one of the best. They're, they're pretty big and charismatic and. <laughs> And they um, pollinate your tomatoes and your capsicums really well. 
really? Oh, yes. well, it didn't do much for me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> My tomatoes. They are a, a fantastic... Well, they're a buzz pollinator, oh, much okay. like the, um, the bumblebee, yep. which is now introduced into Tassie. Um, they grab the flower and vibrate it to, yep. to, to, get, to, release, to release the, the pollen. pollen. And, yes, it um, was on the plant for quite a while. Yes. So, though, that's a ripper blue-banded bee. I, you know, I've, often people... Um, we, we joke around at work a bit about Verbena bonariensis, one of the greatest weeds in the universe, but also one of the greatest attractors of blue-banded mm, bees. Right. Um, you know, wonderful, wonderful tall flowering um, verbena. That, that, you know, those sorts of things. Cat mints, I've seen them yeah. on a lot. Um, anything really lamiaceae, any of the salvia family will, will attract blue-banded. With a very old-fashioned little geranium with tiny little white flowers in a cluster. Perfect. Lovely. And it was sitting on that. And I went and got my camera and it was still there when I came back. Oh. Did, what was the fo- did the photo come out okay? Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Well done. Sounds like you're uh, you're kicking goals already, Jill, and you're not even trying. Oh, good. <laughs> Thank you very much for your information. Okay, then. Bye. I, I, I think the incidence of blue-banded bees, I, I'm, just anecdotally, I think we're seeing more now than what we have for some time. I reckon they're, they're really adapting to, to urban, urban environments. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it would seem that way. So they, they nest in clay banks, um, okay. essentially. So sometimes people will, um, you know, pack a pack a bit of PVC with some sort of loose sandy uh, mortar or um, that sort of thing is to try and sort of encourage them to nest in there. They're yep. solitary like most of our native bees. Yep. Um, but they are just an absolute... If, you, if, if people want to look at native bees, I would highly recommend they get onto the Gardening Australia website and look up Ken Walker. Because oh, okay. um, yeah. we, we did a presenterless piece with Ken, who's the entomologist at um, the Museum Victoria. Um, he's also behind sort of the Bowbird, which is a, a, a site for helping you to identify these species in, in your backyard. And, and he shows a whole... Um, collection, you know, they're they're pinned to a board, of course, yeah. uh, of blue banded bees, and it's just fantastic to see because I thought there was just one species, yeah, but okay. of course there's not. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, just a fantastic uh, a little story that we did with Kenny. Mm. So much fun. Yeah. Brilliant. Mm, but, okay. Uh, Next up, we're going to uh, Robert, who's out in Mitcham. Good morning, Robert. Yes. Good morning, all. Look, uh, a couple of questions if I could. First and foremost, uh, you can just tell me and address the begonia uh, exhibition. Hmm. Sorry, what was that? The Begonia Exhibition yes. that I believe is on this weekend. Yes, it is. It's on today. It's down at the Moorabbin Senior Citizens Hall, which is at 964 Nepean Highway in Moorabbin. Right. Okay. Okay. Other than that, can you tell me, out here in Mitcham on our, we've got a uh, fairly heavy clay-based soil, how can we work our soil up to be more... Moisture-retentive. Evan would know well, about clay, that. Well, clay is moisture-retentive. <laughs> You've just got to open it up. So we, we tend to um, put in uh, gravel into, into um, really heavy soils and some organic matter, but not too much organic matter because that can then end up holding too much moisture. We've had that problem where we've actually put too much organic matter in and, and actually made it hold too much and then plants okay. effectively drown. Um, so I think it's a slowly, slowly approach with the organic matter, but with the with the gravel, you can put sort of easily 150 mil of gravel across the ground and just blend it into to the top sort of 300. What sort of gravel would you use, Evan? We, we've been using what they call curbside gravel, um, okay. which is a sort of I think it comes out of Dramana. It's that yellowy gravel that you often see on the side of gravel roads. No fines. 
Uh, no, 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 not no many fines. fines. Mm. Yeah. Just to keep it open. Yeah. If you have too many fines, I think it can uh, block it up again. Yeah. So, although we have used sharp sand too, yeah. um, and that that does that does okay as well. Yeah. But I think if you can have limited fines, it's probably a little bit better. You just got to put a lot into it. Yeah. Have you tried any of the gypsums or clay breakers or any of those? Um, those yeah, we those usually products? put that through as well. Right. But I just think the um, the gravel just seems to work really quickly. Yeah. Okay. And, and it opens it up straight away. Yeah. Um, so that's not a. It's a it's a physical rather than a chemical. Yeah, that's um, right. Yeah, uh, process. Yeah, yeah. 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 And yeah. then you can put your gypsums on as you go through. You know, yeah. each year just to put a little bit on. Yeah. Um, but it gets in better yeah. as well. Okay. Once you know, gypsum. If you've got a very compacted area, yeah. gypsum doesn't really get in. Yeah. You know, unless you've really broken it up a lot. Yeah. Um, so that's that's the way we handle it on the bigger jobs yeah. because mm. it's, a, it's, an, it's a regular problem obviously mm. on construction yes. sites oh, yes. yeah. as to how you get the soil to a point where you can grow in it yep. and mm. you see a lot of failed commercial landscapes mm. solely because mm. either the soil specifications weren't done well or the uh, contractors haven't abided by it. Mm. Gee, what can so. uh, it can often happen, can't it? Um, the the soil which is sitting underneath gets capped with a, That's right. a, a layer of just awful compacted stuff on the mm. uh, on the top. But you know, maybe thirty centimeters or forty centimeters or however far down, yes. you might have site soil which is okay. That's right. Building sites are con- they're, they're tricky places, aren't they? They're tricky. Very, yeah. Yeah. Mm. very, yeah. very tricky. Yeah. And the compaction just of all the people wandering back and oh, forth yeah. as a landscaper, sort yeah. of yeah. like, oh, oh cut off it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, and I think often, you know. The the, um, the the money often isn't there for that that sort of huge rehabilitation of the soil. Yeah. Yes, unfortunately. So um, you've sort of got to be smart about it. And I guess plant selection has a lot to do with that too. But yeah, <laughs> but uh, this would seem to be some I don't know scurrilous is probably the too heavy a word. But you know, just putting a, a skin of mm. organic soil on over the, oh, on over the, the top, top of, and of hide it all. You hide it and put some mulch in, and yeah, yes. you're out. You're out. Yeah, it's it's pretty um, and then, pretty I awful, mean, really. Yeah, yeah it, it is. It's just uh, cutting corners, yeah. and it gets found out. I was at a at a place uh, that's three years old recently, uh, a school, and uh, that's what had happened yeah. there. Yeah. And I had the list of plants that were planted. There were about four thousand plants planted. I reckon there were about. 500 left, mm. yes. um, you know, three years down the track, yeah. which is just a disaster yeah. because public school, yeah. they'll never be replaced. No. So That's unless right. it's done right the at the again. start, yeah. it'll never, never happen. Yeah. So I was researching because we're doing a specialist school down in Sale. Okay. And so I was looking at what, you know, what they require. And it was actually interesting because um, I was walking around with the sustainability teacher around this school. And um, a melaleuca had clearly come up. Either it was indigenous yeah. um, or whatever, but it was the only plant in this bed, and it was six <laughs> feet tall and looking fantastic. Brilliant. Doesn't and mind the clay. Yeah. <laughs> and I said to her, well, you know, do you think, what would it be like if all the garden beds were like that? And she said it would be fantastic. Really, mm. yeah. So the, the design, I don't know if any, anyone's been to the Inverloch Resort, the RACV Resort, but that place is heavily planted with melaleucas and casuarinas and leptospermums and all those sorts of things, probably all went in as tubes, mm-hmm. yeah. really close together, you know, under a metre. Great yeah. trunks. Great trunks, yeah. places you can get in amongst. If you lose 50% of the plants in the first two years, you'll still have a magnificent result. It's okay, mm. yeah. So that's, that's the angle I've gone down. Good. Um, so I'm planting, I think, 8,000 plants, mm. which you couldn't afford, so, and they're all in tubes, so mm. you couldn't afford if you're doing it in larger pots. Sure. Mm. 
And so hopefully we get you know, 40, 50% survival yep. and then it'll be fantastic. Yeah. And then the, the idea is, is that people have to cut things down because it's too full. Thin them out. That would, yep. that would be okay. That would be fine. Because yeah. people are good at that. Yeah. And in a school, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> They're not good at replanting. <laughs> <laughs> in a school, that's really useful too. I mean, imagine mm. if, you know, you do come through and you harvest, you know, a few hundred little saplings. I mean, mm. that's that's materials to make something for that school, that, you know, to exactly make a right. shelter or, yep. you know. Yes. It's, it's funny, I had a mm. really good good friend of mine who's a, who's a teacher and um, she, she, she last year or the year before, you know, her, the school, there was a little group of students um, that she was watching and the, the school was watching that they didn't want to play soccer. They didn't want to play footy, which was kind of the currency of the school. And so what they'd done was they'd pulled a few little branches off the two trees that they have in the school and they'd made a little cubby down the back. And she said she was watching these emails go, between all the mm. furious people that these kids had pulled some sticks <laughs> off the tree and she, she let it go for three or four days until finally she just went, hang on a second. You know, these kids don't want to kick a football. Mm. They want to play and there's absolutely nowhere for them to play and it's our fault there's not more trees for them to nick stuff off. <laughs> Quite mm. frankly, That's we right. should go get them some sticks. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, because they're trying to create this. Well, we had this long chat about this mm. and trying to create these spaces where there are some materials for kids to use. Yeah. That was my favourite. You mm. know, lean, lean a few branches up against another branch. Mm. You've actually got your own little private space. You mm. know, you can That's use right. it as you will. So Yeah, trees and shrubs need to be selected for the play items they offer. Yeah. Yes. That, that, that's the number Big one sickle shaped leaf thanks. number one priority yeah yeah. How, what's the bark like to peel yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and will the plant tolerate it and will yeah. repeat, yeah, exactly. repeat right. peeling yeah. yeah and the great thing about planting a lot of those sort of indigenous and native plants most of what I've selected as indigenous is if they get trodden on a lot of them will reshoot yep. they'll come back they'll have another go yeah mm. So, uh, whereas um, I think out at this, this site I went to, there was something like 400 brachycone multifier to plant it. Okay. Well, of course, there's about 20 left yeah. because yep. they get stood on, that's that. That's yep. it, yeah. yeah. Okay, uh, we must get back to Robert. Robert, has that helped at all? <laughs> that, that helps, but look, can, can I go a bit further? Sure. Uh, as far as organic material is concerned, we're, uh, uh, our block's got a lot of trees on it and most of our... Our compost heap uh, tends to be uh, cut up, uh, cut up gum leaves and liquid amber leaves and other other things. So they normally cut them up, put them in a heap that can compost down, mm. and then uh, use that as compost. But it's very dry. Yeah, you need to. Um, I mean, what you can do is surround it with old corrugated iron and that sort of thing. Your mulch mm. pile, so that you can actually, uh, you know, it doesn't dry out on every side. That certainly helps. With composting files, even though the, the, the compost when it when it uh, when it's complete it is very dry. Yeah. Okay. You need oh, to just compost down, but it, uh, it just finishes up it on the on the garden on the ground a uh, very dry material. Mm. Okay. It, it's worth digging it in sometimes. Oh, digging. <laughs> oh, no, you, don't look at me. I'm a digger. Don't you worry. Spade on the back of my spute as we speak. No, but sometimes with compost, I think if you don't dig it in, you probably lose some of the value of it or at mm. least cover it in mulch. Mm. Or something like that. But so also, that I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong with watering your compost pile. I mean, no, people, people no. Exactly. Are, You know, it's often, you know, particularly in the height of summer, um, you know, I'd often go and put the little rosette sprinkler on it for, yep. for five minutes just to, to, to wet yeah, it through. Yeah. And it can be purely because it's so dry that it's not breaking down properly. That's yeah, right. or, or, you know, the, the function of, of actually um, the microbial activity breaking down organic matter creates some waxy substances, which actually makes it hard to re-wet. Yes. So, 
Um, I mean, I guess the other thing would be, Robert, is to try and, if you can, source some more sort of green matter for your compost so you're running a maybe a slightly wetter compost in, in, the, in, the, in the long run. It's, um, yes, you know, maybe if you yes. can, the local cafe might give you their fruit and veg scraps. Or, or even or some grass shop, clippings or... Mm. Whatever you can get your hands on. Um, I grow canna lilies um, for this sort of purpose just so I can cut the foliage all the time. Um, yep, yep. You know, comfrey, all those sorts of things. But the, the more green you get in, you might get a slightly sort of more... Um, hearty brew at the end. Yes, I know. We, we, we certainly don't have enough green material mm. in it, but we have an overabundance of, uh, mm. of leaves from uh, various gum trees. And, uh, yeah, and yeah. That. Well, that, that's why it's coming out such a dry right. mix. Mm. Also, I know a lot of people don't like horse manure because it carries a lot of weeds, but horse manure is great in compost because it holds a hell of a lot of moisture. Mm. So sometimes I'll put a third of whatever I've got there of horse manure, and you need to leave it, it for a while, yep. but it really keeps the moisture in, in it mm. and uh, it really cooks it, um, and that helps if you've got a lot of leafy mm. leafy material. And, you know, the heat does help to keep the weeds in. I, I mm. use it a lot too. If you're using mm. it, particularly in veggie gardens, which you're working all the time, you know, mm. there's nothing wrong with a whole lot of grassy weeds coming no, up around because you just, you just call John and he comes around with a <laughs> John, there's a weed. Quick, get yeah, over here. I'm on it. <laughs> on, your, on your powered bi- on the bicycle yeah, yeah, yeah. too. Superman suit and the cape. <laughs> there, was a, there was a great uh, superhero movie with the rather average superheroes in the 90s and there was a character played by... Um, Oh, his, his, his name's gone out of my head, but he, as a superhero, his character was the shoveler. <laughs> and um, they were all just mildly not that good at being superheroes, and the actual superheroes would turn up and say, but he just his wife would say, I oh, know, darling, you're really good at shoveling, <laughs> but I just don't know that this is a full-time gig, being a superhero. I'd fit into that category, I'm sure. Okay, so Robert... Where are we at? Uh, there we go. Look, uh, can I uh, in, indulge me for just one more? Right. Some old type azaleas uh, that uh, uh, have been suffering, they just get old branches that die back until the whole plant dies back. Mm. Long-term dryness, I would suggest. Sorry, mm. I've got a grape in my mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, was this azaleas? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Azaleas. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They, they just... Uh, just tend to every now and then uh, a branch will just wilt and die back and ultimately to the stage where the whole plant dies back. They're they're very shallow rooted. Mm. They are. So Mm. you really have to watch your moisture content there with them. I think it's just moisture. That sounds like a chair. Generally it is. Yeah, they have a lot of problems as a as a general rule with red spider mite, which yeah. can really really mm. hook into a yeah. lace wing and that sort of thing. So I think um, yeah, I just tend to stay away from azaleas these days. So <laughs> I, I would be looking at so there's some that are that are stronger than others. Yeah, like definitely. Elder Magnifica is mm. is certainly a stronger plant, uh, but a lot of the older ones are a lot of hard work. Mm. The know, indica type, yeah. They yeah. are. Yeah. Yeah. What about um, the one the one that I'm still a uh, total sucker for are the mollus azaleas, the deciduous um, yep. mollus azaleas. I think they're a bit tougher as they well. Are, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, they're hard work, aren't they? I I can't I can't actually remember ever planting one. I sold lots at <laughs> 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 the nursery because people just wanted them and you just fill that trolley up, but uh, I can't remember planting any. Yep. They're <laughs> ideally suited to you know high altitude, cooler climate, high rainfall. That's right. You know, yeah. the, the uh, National Rhododendron Gardens, the bowl of azaleas. Go and enjoy them up there. You go and enjoy them there. That's yeah. a, a, a real mm. thing to witness when it's in flower. Mm. Yes. Okay, Robert. There you go. That's fine. Thank you very okay. much. Okay, bye. Okay, goodbye. Bye. Ah, now... 
we've got someone who's weighed in heavily into our discussion this morning. Good morning, Roger. Morning, Pam. I'm trying to work out what I was going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> are, what did we miss, Rog? What did we miss? They are completely out of control this morning, Roger. So, so, so know, never add put, some sense into it. Never put them on together again. <laughs> <laughs> and all I can say is, thinking of that certain lady in there grabbing grapes along things... I've moved from an area where I used to be able to do that. Oh, okay. oh. I'm going to drop you some down. <laughs> but anyway, look, now the reason I rang, when you're talking about uh, propagating pacridaceae and things like that in their pacris family, mm-hmm. you know, people uh, having problems and uh, because they weren't the right mycorrhiza there, many moons ago, I know when I first started off nursery life and propagating some of the apacras from cuttings, and we had an absolute disaster. Mm-hmm. And um, then I started mainly on the advice of a chap, Ben Wilson, who's a, a landscape architect designer, but he used to be a mad propagator too. bit, bit unusual for a landscape architect yeah. to be propagating mm-hmm. plants, but there you go. Mm. Oh, we've lost him. We've lost, we've lost Roger. <gasps> okay. Oh, Roger, off he's off. Ether. Off to pick some grapes. I'll put him on the back of the ute, don't you worry. Okay, well... Um. Yeah, a landscape architect knowing plants, that is extraordinary. Uh, I yep. actually had a graduate um, come and do a bit of work with me a little while ago from RMIT and uh, had him look out my window and you know because mm. I work at home, so look out to the garden. I said, so what, what plants can you name? You know, he couldn't name one. <gasps> and, and, you know, they don't have a plant, a plant section in mm. that... Degree that mm. undergraduate degree, I'm not not one. My it's hands over my ears and going la 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 la. Again, it's just uh, it was just gobsmacking. I, I said to him, I "Think you ought to go and be a gardener for a couple of years." Mm. Yeah, uh, you'll be a much so, better. So yeah. this is a graduate. This is a graduate out of RMIT. You know, oh, there yeah. is not a unit on plants. Oh. They said, "Oh, you can Google them." Oh, of course. Oh, um, it, interesting. <laughs> I have. It's not much part of the landscape uh, design process, is it? Plants. No. No, not really. Not really. It's only furniture. Yeah. The I did. Um, <laughs> I went to have a look at the. We're going to film the Shrine Gardens, so I don't know if people have been to visit the new Undercroft entrances um, at the Melbourne Shrine of Remembrance. So they opened, I think, in 2014, mm-hmm. and um, as part of sort of a rejuvenation of the shrine, they they wanted to make sure that the older diggers could still access um, the upper areas. So they excavated underneath, right. and so there's now four courtyard entrances, and two of them are planted to represent sort of um, conflicts of the Mediterranean, sort of First World War, um, all through those. So that's quite a Mediterranean-style garden. And then the other um, really heavily planted courtyard is sort of more representative of sort of Second World War onwards, so Pacific and Vietnam, all that sort of cool. really tropical mm. um, okay. courtyard. But the, the landscape architect, Michael Wright, I mean, I, I, I love that we're walking around and he's got some fantastic plants and he said, yep, I had to buy that Salandra on eBay because I couldn't get it from a nursery, but he know, knew his plants yeah. and that was exactly exactly that that yep. he he knew every plant in that garden he'd selected some of them he'd propagated himself some of them he'd asked the botanic gardens to propagate yep. um, this fantastic ficus um, whose name will jump back in my head um, in a minute so you know like uh, again it was that I was so surprised but then you know I look at the projects that he's working on and I was very heartened to see that he, he's involved in some of the more important projects across the place because he knows what he's doing. Yeah, that's yes. great. Yeah. He values yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Was it, was it Ficus religiosa? No, no? that's the Bodhi tree. Yeah. No, so he, 
in in that courtyard they have got a it's rubiginosa, so it's oh, the um, right. um, so a little bit more more yeah. suited to the climate. Yeah, but sure, no, yeah. the other ficus I will look up right now, and I cool. know for a fact the only person that grows it is your minor rare plants, because right. oh, yeah. um, I saw it last year at yeah. um, but it's got a leaf on it like it's called the dinner plant. Oh, is it oh, that, uh, no, it? no, that'll be ficus. Damaropsis. Damaropsis, oh, yeah. that's the one. Lyrata's mm. your fiddle leaf. Yeah. Yeah, Damaropsis. Damaropsis. But absolutely spectacular yeah. plant. And mm. I did say to him, I must get myself one of those before that story goes to air. Because the second we put that on telly, <laughs> <Yeah>. everyone, <laughs> <laughs> the, the four that are in Victoria will be gone. <laughs> oh, okay. Let's go to uh, Vic this time in Maribyrnong. Good morning, Vic. Oh, good morning. Here's one for the whole lot of you. Uh, I've got a... I've got a whole lot of uh, treated pine posts that, that were treated with, uh, what do they call that stuff? CCA. Copper carbon, yeah, CCA, abbreviation, I wasn't after that. Copper carbon, uh, copper... Um, copper chrome copper chrome arsenate. arsenate. Yep, <laughs> copper chromium arsenate. Don't put it in your mouth. <laughs> now, no, no. Now, these, these, these have been located around the Maribyrnong River. And so they've been there for many, many years, and they've been through floods. They've been out in the weather all that time. It's a long time. And anyway, I asked if I could have them, and they gave them to me. And the reason I took them home is I want to use them to tear off the garden, and I want to use to grow veggies in there. And my understanding is that if you paint the damn things, then you sort of make them reasonably safe. Now, I haven't done the job yet. And my question to you is, would, have you known of anybody to do this? I think lots of people have used treated pine mm. to, um, for their raised garden beds over the years. Yeah, um, but whether now, it's yeah, good, bad or otherwise is uh, not, not conclusive, but it's not something that people would re- sort of recommend. Um, painting it is, is something that does happen. Um, I've even been into uh, childcare centres where, you know, they, they had treated pine in them and, and one of the recommendations from the council was to paint them just to sort of seal them, I suppose. That's but, right, yeah. Um, now, what are they painting them with? That's my question. Plastic paint. Just, just normal... Well, it, plastic paint vinyl, creates... Vinyl paint. A, well, it creates a barrier. Yeah, I know it creates a barrier, but I would have thought... Yeah, I'm surprised it's not an oil paint. But anyway, yeah. Well, you could use oil paint too, I suppose. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I, I wouldn't be totally uncomfortable with it, tanking it with something, um, whatever it is, just mm. creating a bit of a barrier between the soil and the and the treated pine. I mean, it's funny, you know, this, this stuff, you know what's in that. There's so many things in our environment that we don't know what's in, mm. that we're ingesting, breathing, you know, like uh, we can smell it when you walk into a new building, you know, yeah. that well, um, well, there's so much here, of each tier will be about two poles high, mm. two two diameters high, whatever mm-hmm. the diameter of them is. Mm. Uh, just so, like, because our uh, backyard sort of slopes away at a reasonable angle. I, I haven't worked out what the gradient is, but it's a fair. It's a. It's a. I'd like to level it to a certain degree, mm. and then because of the tiers, then you can work in, inside those tiers to grow whatever you're growing, and then step down to the next one instead of a bloody great muddy quagmire, you know what I mean? <laughs> and then they have a path sort of going down the middle of it. Yeah. Well, yeah, some well, people that's, do that's put... That's my intention anyway. Some people do line treated pine with heavy concrete as plastic. Mm. Mm. But, you know, is plastic any better? Oh, who can say? Who knows? No, the problem there is... No, but look, that, that comes to the problem of when you used to put pebbles down 
And if you put that flaming stuff down underneath... It's no, not stuff. underneath. I mean, just you're no, lying no, the but timber. the stuff still breaks down. It mm. still gets brittle. Yeah, it mm. does. It still gets... And you don't really achieve anything because all the dirt, all it does then, in that particular aspect of use, it just retains all the dirt. Mm. Yeah, but the, but but that's the problem. This stuff breaks down. Mm. Look, I'd, I mean, you can do a bit of research. There's probably quite a bit of research available online now as to, you know, there's been some studies done. I know that they're limiting the use of that pine in playgrounds now because that's, but that's very much kids putting their hands on it and then they put their hands in their mouth, the dirty mm. little things. Mm. Um, you know, so kids are always at more risk of ingesting things than than adults are in that way, but um, yeah, look, it's really, it's a personal decision, I would say, in the end. Yeah, um, and you know what I heard? I don't know if it's true or not, but I heard these things are turned into wood chips and then they're dyed and then they're used as mulch on a garden yeah. It's an interesting thing, the wood chip thing, you know, if you go and pick up mulch at a tip, which mm. I don't and I don't recommend you do, because what, what ends up through there? Fence palings. Okay. Yeah, well, that's Fence what posts. I'm saying. They, they, you know, well, who knows what's in it? They, they, they <laughs> yeah. chip, would chip this stuff yeah. and turn it into chips like yeah. mulch, right? Yeah. But they dye it. It might come black, it might come red, so yeah. you can call it whatever timber you like, but it's actually treated pine. Is that? And well, I'm I don't trying know to get to the bottom of that as well. Yeah, I'm not sure. Well, there be some regulation on yeah, that. Yeah, I'm not mm. sure if that's completely true, with, you know, but, um, but oh, no. certainly tip waste is something to be a wee bit cautious of, I think, on so, your garden, fence garden. Because when you think of it, if they're going around replacing all those fences and there's a lot of kilometres of it, mm. where the hell are they dumping it mm. and how do you know? <laughs> that's it, well, that's, that's, that's probably my biggest issue with, with something like treated pine. I see its function, but... You know, when, whenever you're purchasing anything or whenever you're acquiring anything for constructing, I'm always thinking about what I might do with it down the track. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and because I do temporary gardens, so that's often only 18 months later that I'm going to be able to pull that apart because I've only held it together with a steel pin and a, you know, and a binding mechanism. But at the end of the day, treated pine is toxic waste. That's right. You can't, that's right. It can't be used for anything. It can't be burnt. It can't be that's mulched. Right. It can't be used. So, I mean, I guess, you know, you're in that position where you've already got this material. Yeah, well, and I, so well, there's I, a, an I, argument to be made to use it. it. doesn't rot. Mm. And, and the interesting thing is you can still buy treated pine, and I'm mm. just wondering how different it is from what I already have. Well, there are different types of treated pine these days, but... Um, what are they the, treating it with? Because it looks the same to me. Uh, it does look the same. doesn't last as well as the good old CCA. Um, okay. So but, it's the uh, same it, species of uh, pine they're using, is it? It is, but it's a different chemical they put in it. Yeah, so it's, whether it's or not, not arsenic. Whether or not that gets proven to be um, not as good in time, who knows? Yeah, because yeah, you've got to wonder, you know, especially when you think that they've made a replacement asbestos cement sheet, that, a cement sheet, should I say, and it still contains asbestos. <laughs> you know what I mean? They got rid of it all, they tell you, and yet they bring it back in. And I'm just wondering if that isn't the same thing happening with the treated pine that I see in bunnies. Mm. Mm. Treated pine is still treated pine, so yeah. Yeah, it's still... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. But anyway, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear off the garden, grow veggies in there, and that, that's what I was. That's what I brought them home for. And I figured because they've been in the river so long mm. and out in the open so long, they've gone through floods, so they would have been pretty, you know, they a fair bit of chemical purged out of them. Yeah. Um, well, good luck. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, thank you very much. Okay. Bye. Bye. Right, that, that, we... that, that with the uh, recycling, I find that a little bit with plastic as well. You know, you can buy all this recycled plastic to make decking and to make this and that, 
what happens at the end of the life of that mm. there? Because then it's got wood in it. It's yep. got all sorts of other stuff in it. Is that then recyclable? Um, I just wonder where we're going to be. Yeah. <laughs> it's all very well to have all this recycled material. Yeah, I think yeah. It's a, you know, um, it is about... And all what's the best or what's the best thing we can do with those materials at this point? Mm. And if it is to reuse them and get another 30 years out of them mm. before they are eventually just waste, yep. um, then yeah. hopefully that's a better use than buying something new or yeah. you can't You can't do a lot with it, though. I, I did some adventures with that recycled stuff, and I had all the offcuts. Yeah. Mm. What the hell what do, do, do I do with it? it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. What do I do with all the off-cuts? Yeah. If it's scary timber, thing. you can stick yeah. it in your in your open fire mm. Mm. Uh, yeah. and use it up mm. that way. Yeah. But uh, that stuff, it's just in the bin. Yeah. But we, we mm. keep yeah. hearing how much plastic there is in the ocean now. Mm. So oh, it's, it's terrifying. It's really scary. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah. Okay, we must move on. We've got a board full of callers. We're going next to Ruth, who's out in uh, Bentley East. Morning, Ruth. Good morning, everyone. Well, you certainly learn something every day. Oh, good. <laughs> um, I'll just be quick. I just want to know, I've got an apricot tree that's had a summer prune, and I've heard that these days you don't need to paint over the fresh cuts. Is this right or not? Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't. Just to leave it. Yep. yep. And, and you're doing the right thing by doing it in the summer. So yeah. you're less likely to get gummosis, which is the thing that uh, gives you grief. And in this weather, I've still got a nectarine tree that I wanted to do. Is it not too late to give it a summer prune? Oh, I, I think it could be pruned now. That would be fine. Yep. Mm. Yep. Okay. Mm. All right. Fine. Thank Good. you. Bye. 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 Right. Ah, well, next our good friend Alex has joined into the fungi debate. Good maybe, morning, Alex. Maybe Roger's gone over there. No debate. He's using <laughs> Alex's phone. Yeah, he didn't pay his bill. <laughs> good morning, Alex. Good morning. And uh, I thought gardening was a serious business, but you seem to be having quite a bit of fun with it. <laughs> Every day. It did get serious about fungi, and while I can't remember important things from just a little while ago, I can remember that in 1998, John Landy spoke at a friend's dinner at Cranburn. Right. And, you know, not only was he an ex-governor, he was a chemist, a naturalist, an author, a photographer and a bonza bloke. But he started by saying that he believed that if you took a cubic metre of soil, there would be, and analysed it thoroughly, there would be millions or even billions of organisms in it. Mm. And what struck me was that the, the fungi is not even in the plant kingdom. Mm. That's right. It's all, it's all out there by itself. So uh, that, you know, it is something that we just haven't studied to the extent that we've studied the things that you walk past and see above the ground. And we did have Dr. Theresa LaBelle there uh, following that to speak about fungi to the friends. She's from the herbarium in Melbourne. And uh, coincidentally, she was... Uh, awarded the Young Scientist of the Year Award was published in the Sunday Age the day we had her speaking to us. Nice. We didn't organise that. I don't think she'd qualify for the Young Scientist anymore. <laughs> but uh, she took us for a walk and we literally got about 100 yards. Mm. There was just so much that we'd walked past 
so many times and never really stopped to observe what was going on that mm. it was really mm. something. Was that in the bushland at Cranbourne, Alex? Yes, yeah. yes, and it was just amazing to see how what little distance we got mm. with the, the the range of fungi that were. And that's only the fruiting bodies that we were seeing. Mm. Yes. Certainly, uh, you need to dress warm if you're going out for a fungi walk because you don't warm up. <laughs> There's a lot of hands and knees, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, two, two steps, stop. <laughs> not sure about uh, how many fungi you've got. Have a look in your compost bin because sometimes uh, you see them really working like anything while we're asleep to break mm. down all that compost. It's true. <laughs> it's I, um, I love that Jerry Cobby Williams, our presenter in Queensland, he, um, he, he uses the really simple way of explaining compost. He's like, the carbon, that's your fungi food, and the nitrogen, well, that's going to get your bacteria going, you know, and okay. he, just that really good, simple balance of explaining those mm. things as to, to what. But, I mean, fungi, there's different... Alison was saying there's fungi, there's some fungi that are so specialist that they really only start working on a tree once it's been down for 100 years. True. <laughs> you know, really? you know, particular species. That there's this whole off. succession of different fungi that can come in and break down the lignum. So you see that beautiful tessellation that you get mm. in, a, in a log that's breaking down. So they pull out all the lignum and then the next ones come in and start working on different, different things. But, um, yeah, definitely it's not, it's, not a big, it's not a long walk or a hard walk, is it, Alex, when you're no, looking at fungi? That's right. And look, it's a wonderful subject and thanks very much for raising it today. Excellent. Great. Okay, thanks, Alex. Bye. Okay, let's, uh, this time we'll head off to uh, Glen Roy. We have Mary online. Good morning, Mary. Good morning, thank you. Um, <clears throat> I've been a long-term gardener and I've had to dig out a load of bluebell bulbs and freesia and uh, daffodils. Um, I've already set the bluebell bulbs into their growing medium in pots, but I'm not sure at this stage if I should be uh, giving them some water. There's the idea of maybe some iced water. I also want to ask about briefly about freesia and daffodils. Mm. Some water at this time of the year, you mean? So mm. because you've so you've dug them up and, and potted them up, is that right? Yes, I have because I needed them out of the place where they had been growing, and I had a lot of bluebell bulbs. Did sure. they come up nicely? Yes. Yep. They, yeah. And, and uh, the strange thing is, most of them, of course, are nicely round and plump, but they're yeah. elongated ones. Oh. Okay. Probably just growing in quite crowded, perhaps. Maybe squashed uh, up a bit. Yes. Um, look, I would, I would just make sure that the potting mix is moist now, you know, when you pot, pot them up. And I'd just put them somewhere where they're going to get a bit of rainfall um, and a bit of weather, I suppose. And then once you see them actually start to shoot, then, then get into a regular watering regime. Um, but certainly over the, the next couple of, well, probably in the next sort of four to six weeks, we'll see all of that stuff um, to start move. to take off. And maybe, you know, I was looking back at the weather patterns from last year and no doubt we'll get one more big belt yep. um, of hot weather. I reckon we'll have a hot week in March. Yep. Um, probably Mifkus week, yeah. won't it be? It'll be one, <laughs> <laughs> one of those years but, um, or Easter. But uh, we're probably still in for a little bit of warm weather and then everything will start to get moving. And then the same, I presume, for um, freezer potting up because I don't want them, I can't keep them cool enough or comfortable enough even in string bags underneath my house because in the hot, hot weather. So I guess I'll do the same for them. I think that's right. And I wanted to ask, I've got more than I want of... Um, daffodil jonquil bulbs 
um, Jungwil seem to be the the really feral ones, and, and they're the ones that tend to flower. How do I ident- identify the now um, ra- raised daffodil bulbs against the jonquil bulbs? Is there any discolour? You need Is a DNA testing kit, I reckon. Pretty impossible, I think, Mary. You'd have to do it while they're flowering. While they're flowering, yep. Uh, is mm. there not a, a different colour in the skin? Mm, oh, no, look, be, not necessarily. Be, I wouldn't think so. You'd have to be a fair expert to yeah. uh, to tell them apart. But I, I think even, yeah, no, I don't I don't believe I think, yes, yeah, you've really got to let them flower mm. and yeah. then sort mm. it from there. And then mm. keep them isolated. They're essentially the same plant. Yeah. Um, oh. Just, you know, different variations of, so... Mary, we, met, we mentioned the uh, orchid project at the Botanic Gardens at Cranbourne before, and um, the similarities between dormant, dormant orchid bul- um, tubers and, and bulbs. Uh, and we apply water you know, every 10 days in, in hot weather, and that's not to, to water them because they're, they're, they're dormant. It's actually just to keep the soil cooler and moister. So, you know, that rule of thumb, you know, warm weather, uh, 10 days or something like that and it's just a light application it's not wetting yeah. um, the medium through and that's just to, that's just to, uh, just to keep them a little cool mm. right okay thank you everybody okay, okay. bye okay, bye okay we've got our good friend Ken in sunshine good morning Ken good morning everybody what a delightful program this morning it is every morning but it's very cheery today <laughs> good very good good we've had a bit of a chuckle while we've been having breakfast and my wife's been going crook because I've been Blurting stuff over the dining room table. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I had a laugh the other day with the drought. I've got an iron bark out the front of my place and it's all about... It's 42 years old mm-hmm. and it is about four storeys high and it dropped a whole heap of bark. Okay. And it's barks all over the street. Um, <laughs> One of my neighbours came over and said, what are you going to do about it? And I said, well, I'll clean my area up, but you've got a good job, haven't you? got a good broom, and I'm not doing anything. It'll go away anyway. She said, oh, I sh-. she said, you've got to do something about it. I said, well, what? I said, aren't trees intelligent? When they're not going to get enough water, they do things like that. They'll drop small branches, which the trees never drop large branches, and it's drops its bark. It shows you how intelligent trees are. Yeah. And uh, they said, but it could, she said, it could fall down on you. And I said, well, the house is insured. So I said, that's fine. <laughs> and she said, but it might <laughs> kill you. And I said, well, bloody hell, I won't have to worry about the insurance fly. <laughs> are people funny? People are, are funny, yep. And I just walked away laughing. Anyway, thanks very much for your program. I just thought I'd do that cult light in the program. Yeah, up. good on you. <laughs> Okay, cheers, thank you. Good on you, Ken. Bye. Trees are just so important, aren't they? Oh, yeah. I was up in Horsham during the week, and uh, there's one street there, I think it's Robert Avenue, I think, and uh, it's it's been a while since I've been to Horsham. There's there's quite good Chinese elms up there, and there's one old English elm that was planted in 1911 or something after the Boer War or something or another. Um, And there's now cafes, you know, that come out onto the street. Why are they out on the street? Because there's trees. Mm. trees. If the trees weren't there, they wouldn't be there. And I think people don't often recognise the fact that they are there and the benefit they're getting from them. Mm. They just don't see it. They see jobs. Yeah. 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 Or or, or they see the fact that it's it's, it's bending the bitumen 
or something, they don't actually recognise the fact that, gee, it's actually pleasant sitting under here. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You know, it just, it just irks me. You know, the more trees, I just don't think you can have enough trees in mm. the urban environment. Oh, absolutely. Even absolutely. if they're big and inappropriate. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we've got our good friend Roger back online. Good morning, Roger, again. Oh, hi, Pam. I was having a great conversation to myself. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, was, it was sounding very promising on myself. Just hanging <laughs> on his every word. We got everything um, before. Hi, it's, it's Roger. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, Gwen told me what I said anyway. I think what I said. I, I was just talking about, you know, the um, the real value of fungi in various forms for propagation of plants mm-hmm. and um, you know we, we were having I think I did mention we were having great troubles propagating members of the Heath family Apacris and uh, mm-hmm. so my friend Glenn Wilson I think I mentioned said he was using a bit of mountain soil and so I said well we'll give it a go and after that it was just amazing the difference in, in success rates and not only with Apacris but with a whole range of other, other plants so what uh, Sorry, Roger. Was it as simple as um, just incorporating some living soil into into your um, propagating yeah. mix? Well, yeah. It, it does. We used to get it commercially mixed for our nursery, so okay. we just used to add five uh, percent of mountain soil into our propagation mix, which was basically sand, in those days peat moss, yep. and and a few other minerals, just very light amounts of, uh, of various things. And uh, yeah, so and then we used to steam sterilise it at 60 degrees Celsius so that kept all the good things there but got rid of any bad things right. yeah, and and then uh, and then we went from there but it was um, yeah it was quite uh, quite, quite wonderful actually because yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, you think oh, why why you know why can't we get roots on these things or good roots you know yeah. So that so, was was that both for seed and cuttings, Roger, or predominantly um, the cutting production? Yes, it was mainly we, we were mainly in, in doing cutting production in those days, but I remember we had stock plants and um, of double flower the pacris from the Grampians, and we had them in twenty centimetre containers, and also at that stage we just used to get a lot of seedlings. Okay. Uh, in, in the they were drip drip irrigated, so the the moisture was there all the time, and um, and so it used to get like a moss bed of seedlings come up, and we were growing those plants in the same mix as our propagation mix, so it had that mountain soil in there. <gasps> the other other thing is, I know some people do if they're propagating things like that, even just to you know get a little bit of soil from underneath your. Um, heaths in the garden and just, just mix a small amount if you're using peat and perlite mix yep. just to take a little bit of that and people do it even with um, things like waratahs, I don't know why they do that but uh, they reckon it works But okay. um, so th- there's um, because there's different relationships with waratahs as far as mycorrhizal mm-hmm. so other things happening there but uh, yeah anyway that was and the, the other thing I was going to mention was that um, I remember years ago um, Australian National Botanic Gardens and CSIRO were going to do a revegetation project up north of Canberra okay. in, in old farmland yeah. that had been farmed for yonks and yonks and yonks. And they thought, well, the thing we've got to put in here is indigenous plants, mm. you know, from local 
local ones from the area. Yep. So they propagated all these plants up, planted them out, and they had this, it was disastrous. Mainly because there was no rhizobia, there was you know no bacteria, yep. etc. Because mm. once you have you know pasture land, and if you do happen to put put a bit of fertiliser on, it. on yeah. it, um, within three, four, five years, all that rhizobia goes. Yeah. Mm. And uh, so in the end, uh, I think they have, or even in parts of Victoria now where they're doing revegetation, there's a product called Wattle Grow, I think it's called, yeah. which is actually a rhizobia, and uh, they put that into the soil uh, and, and getting much better results with uh, revegetation. But uh, So, yeah, sometimes when we think, oh, yeah, if we just put in indigenous, it doesn't always work. Because mm-hmm. the soil is have- no longer indigenous. Yeah, that's right. And it's a modified like, thing. Like you, Millie, with your veggie patch, you know. Mm. So, uh, anyway, that were just a couple of comments. That, yeah. Uh, Other groups of native plants that you, you've made observations of fungal associations, Roger? Oh, yeah. I, I, yeah, well, I, I think there's a whole range of, you know, we don't know about this stuff. No. <laughs> As you mentioned earlier, there's a lot, lot to be done, but I'm sure there are very, very strong relationships with with, uh, with soil, you know, fungi and other things with, with plants because, uh, as you mentioned, when you stick plants in gardens, sometimes they just look dreadful and others, other times they'll, they'll really thrive and you're trying to work out what the problem is. You think, oh, it's either water, too much or not enough. Mm. Um, is the soil too heavy? Is it too light? And all those sort of things. But there, there are other things happening underneath which we don't really know about. But... Uh, they're certainly beneficial, but uh, but I, I just know in the propagation, our, our propagation rates just went up tremendously. Yeah. Our success rates right. once we started using mm. soil. Fascinating. So there's a woman here writing something. I oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Introduce yourself. Her name's Gwen. Uh, Gwen, yeah. <laughs> she she slunk away. <laughs> no, she, she was just mentioning orchids, but you mentioned orchids before anyway. Yeah. With uh, what the work they're doing with Nushka, yeah. right down at uh, at Cranbourn, but yeah, uh, yeah. Quite, quite a remarkable project, Roger, mm. isn't it? Oh, yeah, no, it's good. Yeah. good. But, yeah, Pam should get her on there one day. Yeah, I'll reckon. have to do that. Yeah. I'll follow up yeah. on that. Yeah. She's yeah. always, I've tried a few times to interview her, and every time I try and find Nushka, she's, you know, back yeah. at Burke. She's yeah, digging, up, <laughs> digging up orchids yeah. or planting them. That's right, that's right, that's right. Yeah, anyway, that was just, I thought, uh, we found it interesting back in many years ago. Absolutely. But it, but it still applies now. Yeah. Yeah, great. And it's the same old thing. You you know, we don't bother with it because we can't see it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it needs so much more research put into it. Don't yeah. dig, don't fertilise. Sounds good to me. Consider it done. Yeah. The friends of Cranbourne are running a fungi <clears throat> workshop in June. I think it's June 4th, Sunday. I'm not too sure of the date. but. So there'll be <coughs> lots of information there on Funky. Terrific. Fantastic. Wonderful, Roger. Thanks, Roger. Okay. Bye. Bye. We've only got a few minutes. You've brought in some spectacular plants this morning. <laughs> I think that's spectacular. <laughs> I, I went and got it and said, talk about that, please, Evans. <laughs> I mean, it's huge. It's absolutely That's a massive. small one, though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that is a smaller one. Yeah, this is um, avocado called reed. Um, and uh, it's a terrific plant. Um, that... That this fruit here is about the size of a softball, I yes. suppose. Oh, yeah. yes. Uh, and they're quite round, cannonball-like. 
uh, very, very smooth uh, green skin. They don't go black when they ripen, um, so you have to be sort of regularly, because you have to take it off the tree, obviously, for it to ripen, and uh, once they go soft, then uh, they're perfect. But okay. they don't, you can't expect them to go black, because otherwise it goes too far. They also not keep really well, don't they? Once you cut them, they yep. tend not to spoil away, hustle, yep. just kind of collapse away yes, within a yes. day. These mm. keep really well. That's right. And these have been on the tree since, I suppose, I, th- I guess we picked our first one in about November, December, and they were probably a little bit underdone. Yep. Um, and now they're spectacular, um, but they've been on the on the tree for a long time. How, how old's the tree, Evan, and when did it start bearing? Um, the tree is about three years old. Oh, is uh, that uh, four years old, maybe? Really? Yeah. Right. Very quick grower reed. In fact, you know, it's the sort of tree you have to lob the top off. True. It is um, a big one, isn't it? It's and a big grower. Self fertile. Yeah. Um, I don't know because I've planted four to see. Okay. It, they say that it can be, but I don't know for sure because I've got hearse, reed, bacon, and wort works. Yeah. Right. Well, I wanted to see which ones would do it the best at home. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I suppose over time I'll, I'll thin them out and then I'll know if they, would, <laughs> they needed its neighbour. Yeah. Um, but um, this one and this one is so prolific. Mm. You just get so much fruit off it. And the hearse you get a little bit earlier. Right. So, so that's really good as well. But uh, great trees. And a great tree for playgrounds um, because they can eat them, obviously. Mm. And it's yeah. a very quick grower. Yeah. Mm. As long as it gets a bit of moisture, obviously. Mm. They, need, they need a bit of moisture. How yeah. very, very rewarding to grow your own avocados. Mm. Oh, it's, it's great. Yeah. And, and they're on the shelf all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because they're on the tree for six months. Is that right? Or longer, and they only ripen when you pick them. Yeah, so it's amazing. The, it's the perfect edible, you know, you don't have the, the glut. Say mm. again, they only ripen when you pick them. When you pick them, yeah. yeah. So you, you can... Leave they're them on in, the tree. They're, they're in suspension. Mm. They are, yeah. Yeah, yeah they just sit there. I mean, that, you can feel that. That's rock hard. That'll sit on the bench for a, a couple of weeks, yeah. and then it'll be perfect. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Mm. All, gonna, all the avocados. I'm going to plant some avocados. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And great <laughs> tree. This is the one. Great screening tree. So reed is the one to, mm. to Yeah, plant. it seems to be really good. I mean, I think bacon is the one that's said that it's the best in that's cold weather. Melbourne. But I yeah. haven't had I've a lot of luck. Never I've seen had no fruit. fruit. Well, I've had no fruit off mine yet. So I don't know. But, you know, I'm holding, holding I think out. That sometimes, <laughs> I have a feeling that, um, you know, there's some. There's some intellectualising of that because it comes from a colder part of Mexico or something that particular. Mm. You know, like the, there's two strains of them. Um, but, yeah, look, I think performers, that one and Fuerte, I've seen perform quite mm. well in Melbourne mm. as oh, well. Oh, I haven't got that one. I'll have to get it's another one. really <laughs> delicious fruit too. But anyway, Pam's wrapping us up. We've got I am because, because we have absolutely run out of time. A big thank you to everyone oh. in the studio this morning and also to Jan who's been handling all the calls. Um, We will, of course, be back next week at 7.30. Until then, bye for now.